What's up, educators? I'm Sean McCormick, a former public school teacher turned education entrepreneur. Now, you may not know this, but I once spent a summer in the misty fjords of Alaska, catching king salmon and working in a lodge. If you have a cool story about how Earn More Tutoring has impacted your life, send me an email at info at earnmoretutoring.com, and I'd love to share it on an episode. This week on Earn More Tutoring, I talk with Dr. Maureen O'Shaughnessy about her experience of starting a micro school in Seattle, teaching in South America, and her concept of signing bonuses for teachers who enrich the school culture. Welcome to Earn More Tutoring. Our mission is to eradicate educator poverty. I'm Sean McCormick, the creator of the Become an Online Executive Function Specialist course. My guest today is Dr. Maureen O'Shaughnessy, founder of Lead Prep, as well as the Education Evolution Podcast. Welcome to the show, Maureen. Thanks for having me, Sean. So I'm so excited to talk to you because one thing that I I really was excited to hear about was you've been teaching all over the world, um, which I just think is awesome because I know so many of our listeners they want to bring their their skills around the world. So I was wondering if maybe you could give us kind of a, I know it's tough because we, as we discussed, we've both done a lot in our in our careers, but maybe you could give us a little overview of lo- what led up to creating Lead Prep. Sure. Yeah. I was a school assistant principal and finishing up my doctorate when my daughters were one and three. And then it was like, okay, let's head to international schools. I studied in Mexico and Spain and loved living in other cultures. So we ended up hopping around the world for 10 years. And I brought them back to the U.S. for high school. We did another little interim in Costa Rica. But coming back to the U.S. where I thought they'd have so many more choices with English as the language of instruction, I was surprised that I could not find a good fit for either daughter. And we tried six or seven models. So I helped them graduate early. And I decided I wanted to start something that would be small and personal and could adjust for a kiddo with autism, ADHD, And a kiddo that was on turbo mode and jumping grades and wanted relevance and wanted voice. And so in the Seattle area, I created a 6th through 12th grade micro school. And we have two separate campuses that cap at 30 each and love getting to personalize, contextualize, and, and give children a much larger voice than they usually get. What an amazing thing. Can you talk a little bit more about what a micro school is? Because I think that I just love that word, you know, and and also the idea that it could be so personalized. So maybe tell us a little bit more about how that's different from a, a normal school or, you know, a, I guess a charter or a public school. Yeah. So I was asked that question on Good Morning America in the summer of 2020 when pods and micro schools were coming around. And I wish I had an eloquent, you know, sophisticated answer, but micro school, small school. And truthfully, that's not the solution. I could have rows of desks. I could have a textbook. I could have everybody on the same page in a large group or a small group. It's the potential magic of a small school, especially like ours. We have a one to six ratio where kids can go a little slower, go a little faster, say, hey, could I do it this way? Or how could I use poetry to get my social studies assignment done? So it's the magic, the possibility, the relationships and the love that we can put in when we're a small, tight community. Yeah, it's so important, those relationships, as we've we've discussed in the past, that you're able to establish those. And, and when those get lost, it's hard to really, to really help students. 
What have been the challenges with starting a school? A ton. I, I had started two other micro schools and worked in a third. I started a school within a school as a high school teacher. And the challenges there were buy-in, figuring out the resources, the space and everything. But we had kids, we had facilities, we had teachers with salaries and benefits. And then I started a micro school for international school services in the Andes. Again, we had all the tools and it was tiny, K-8, and then remote online. It was pre-online, remote learning for high school kids. Um, the big challenges this time around is that I'm funding it myself. You know, that's huge. So I would suggest others, if you can collaborate with a business or if you could be a school within a school, it takes a lot of energy to figure out the funding and all of the logistics. So if you can share resources with something that's already established, boy, that would be easier. What advice would you give to people who are looking to establish a firm footing in terms of their financial future? And, and what have you learned in, in your journey? So three things come to mind. The first is voraciously learn. Listen to your podcast, listen to education evolution, listen, absorb like crazy. And, and neuroscience tells us when we pull from a lot of sources, our brain loves that and starts to create all of these connections. And chances are the connection will be, hey, I love horses and I love reading and I can create this literacy program that doors and ties into horses. You know, so really learn a lot. The second part to make that work is know thyself, you know, and to thy own self be true. So do those self-assessments, do the regular reflection. I'm a connector. I'm an idea person. I hate the routine pieces, the monthly paying bills, the parts of my school that aren't creating and moving forward. And if at all possible, have a team so that you can hand those pieces off and you can stay true to yourself and to your strengths so that you can keep your passion alive. And then the third is be willing to flex because if we go in there, hey, this is, I want this reading program that ties into horses, period. Maybe you miss out on this whole bilingual component that somebody else would bring in and maybe they would extend it to other kinds of outdoor activities and not just horses. So we have to be nimble. The world is changing quickly. And if we get really locked in a rut, we can actually fail because we didn't read the scene. We didn't take advantage of resources. So keep learning, know ourselves and be willing to flex. As a business owner myself, um, I, and then, you know, I've worked in schools and I think that's one of the most challenging parts is that you know, as a mission-oriented individual, sometimes you get your sight set on how it's going to be, and it's hard to be flex or to be flexible when you're like, "This is the right way. I know it. It's based on this research and all this." But at the same time, you need to collaborate in order to, uh, you know, reach the goal. So, how do you manage all the different personalities from parents to teachers? What helps you effectively collaborate with? with such a range of personalities from different spectrums. So you got kids, adults. Um, how, do you, how do you manage that? What helps you? Wow. You know, it's nothing really new. I remember many years ago studying Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and a lot of it really is seeking first to understand. You know, begin with the end in mind. You know, sharpen your saw. So the seventh habit is take care of yourself, especially now. So many people are burning out. So it's really just being intentional and 
Also, there are many times where I just have to spray on that Teflon and remember, you know, like in the four agreements to not take things personally because other people are dealing with their own stuff. And and if they aren't positive to me, it could be they had a bad day or didn't get a lot of sleep or are worried about something. So if I can stay a little detached, then I'm much more successful in being a positive resource for people. Yeah, that is a such an important lesson. And something I'm still trying to figure out is like, yeah, I love how you put that in terms of Stephen Stephen Covey's work, because he's like the Bible in terms of organization and, and productivity, but also sharpening your saw, right? Like being in tune with yourself. How do you, how do you take a break from, you know, I mean, you've, you've got a lot of great enterprises going on, right? You got the education evolution podcast, you got lead prep. Um, I know you also do some consulting and coaching. How do you step away from all of it to recharge yourself? How do you sharpen your saw? So I take some dance classes that are fully engaging. So when I'm in those, I can't be thinking about anything else. And I come out and it feels like I had a therapy session because it was just shutting down my brain, using my body, music is involved. So that's really rewarding. And I do that two or three times a week. Excuse me. And then when school gets out in a few weeks and I'm done with the teacher's um. PD before they go off for the summers, I'm heading to Panama for three weeks and just being in a different setting. I'll have my computer, I'll get some work done, but changing the setting. And for me, being in nature and around water is really restorative. So those are some self-care things that I do. Mm, That sounds so nice. I want to go to Panama. Can I come? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, and it's funny, I know we've talked a bit about executive functioning, but, uh, the the thing that Dr. Adele Diamond said was the the thing that helped executive function skills generalize across um, different areas was rhythmic movement. So I think you're like right on it. She found that to be the most highest impactor, you know, not yoga though, rhythmic movement related to dance. So she was actually integrating dance classes across schools um, where, where she was working. So you're onto something there. So so I'm I'm wondering... With your, you know, I know that you do a bit of a little bit of coaching and supporting other people who are trying to identify their kind of goals. Could you talk a little bit more about that work and how you help other upcoming education leaders develop their their expertise and and kind of how they're gonna what they're gonna offer to the world? Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I wrote a a micro school handbook the summer of nineteen. It was just like. I want more people to be doing this. And we had like July and August. So I wrote, my board president was contributing editor. Boom, we got that out. And then I started a mastermind for others that wanted to create micro schools. And and that perked during lockdown and everything. I also make a lot of connections through my podcast, Education Evolution. And I've been able to connect resources. I love connecting people. And we were also able to come together and create an Ed Active Collective. And we have a free summit in the spring. So at the end of April, we just had one and it's it's online and you can listen to all of these experts that are amazing. You know, the author of Differently Wired, the founder of the P-Tech High School model, you know, the, the pioneer of flipped learning. So sometimes it's just about me connecting people, getting resources out. And then I do little consulting 
pieces with people and they can hop on and we can talk through what they're planning, what they're hoping, and I can guide them through some steps. So it's, it's a variety, but it's fun for me. I, I really like encouraging others. Could you, could you talk a little bit more about the podcast and, and what impact that's had on your work and shaping the school and the, and the direction of your community and also um, where you see it going? Yes. So winter of 2020, before we knew the pandemic was going to shut everything down, I decided I wanted to start a podcast because there's such a common theme among educational innovators. So many get shut down by status quo and even by parents who want the best for their kids. And hey, the best that I know about is what I had, you know, so I want those kids to, I want my kids to take as many APs as possible and this and that. That's what I understand to be rigor. And that's what's going to help them get into college and college is what's going to help them succeed. And it's like, or not, you know, so I wanted to have a positive podcast that would just shine the light on gazillion resources that could impact education or parenting our youth and just say, hey, listen in. And if something resonates, go there, dig in. Like having you on my podcast, I'm really excited that some people will understand that executive functioning is something that can be woven into the family life and into the daily classroom. It's not a special educator piece or an SLP or OT private practice piece. So I just feel like I am planting as many seeds as possible. And then starting Lead Prep in 2013, uh, we ascribe to the case strategy, which is copy and steal everything. And at that time, I was leading accreditation visits for advanced ed cognia. So I would get great ideas from different schools. And I get so many cool ideas from the podcast, like, I really want my teachers to watch and study your course and understand how they can use Google more effectively. I want to build in some structures. So it's really life-giving for me to get new ideas. And my brain loves that. And it counterbalances the routine pieces, you know, getting the report cards out, you know, setting up your lease for the next year. So for me, it's super happy and I just want to keep it going as long as it is a service and um, just an aside, Youth by Youth is an organization that's international, run by youth, and they're using the UN um, goals and working with youth to change education. So I signed up to be an ally with this college kid in Connecticut. It's like, wow, how did you even hear about Youth by Youth? And he said, I heard it on your podcast. Like, oh my gosh. So I never know the impact, but I'm just hoping I'm a force for good. I think you are. Yeah, I, I totally, that totally resonates with me because it's like, I'm, I think I'm around, this will be episode 53, I believe. And I can't really put a like, you know, I talk a lot about goal setting and what I want to get out of something or, you know, what the outcome, but with the podcast, it's the same way. It's like, you just are exposed to so much, like after 50, 53 conversations with incredible educators and entrepreneurs in the education space, I'm like, wow, I just know. And I, I'm just such a better resource for other people because I'm like, oh, you're definitely going to, if you're into that, you're definitely going to want to look at this. So that that is a great point. It's just like that kind of communal knowledge that we start, you know, being, a, I guess, a hub, you know, where other people can tap into it. Um, tell me a little bit more about what you do on a weekly basis to keep everything 
running smoothly. I'm curious about your executive function habits and what helps you manage everything and prioritize. Could you talk about your process a bit? Boy, I am super random and it's been abstract random was one of those surveys I took early days. And I, so I learned a lot of tricks, like I use color, you know, I, I, do write things down, but I write them on different in different ways at different times and use different color to cross them out or note them. Um, for me, my one Bible is my calendar. So if I'm supposed to get something done, I know it should go on a task, but I'll put it on my calendar because that's the one consistent tool I use. Like, oh, go in and call this place because I have to get my password reset. It's stuck. You know, that was on my calendar this morning. Our interview was on my calendar today. Um, I like flexibility and it probably, if I had better consistent tools, I would probably be more efficient, but I also get stifled with Asana or Google tasks or, you know, the one where you write everything down. So it's all out of your mind and organize it. Those long lists overwhelm me and shut me down. So I probably am not the best role model for executive functioning, I think I rely a lot on my high energy and my willpower. And that's, that's not the best way to do things. Well, the other part of it is, it sounds like you delegate a lot and you put, you put people in positions of success so that they can help own certain things. And I think that's one of the keys to executive function is that you have to learn how to go from doing, doing, doing to deciding, delegating, and designing. And the other three, D, the three D's I use besides yeah. doing are um, defer or delegate or delete. Really? Mm. Do I really need to read all these articles? And if I keep forwarding them in my inbox, I use the snooze, I use the forward. And then it's like, no, I forwarded it. I've snoozed it three weeks in a row. I haven't read it. Delete, delete, delete. Let it go, Maureen. I know. It's like, we just, we need all the information in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the same way, there's got to be some word for, for uh, you know, modern uh, symptom of needing to know everything at all times. Mm -hmm. Omni-knowledge. So, okay. Uh, well, I'm wondering, uh, you know, tell me about your vision. Where do you see your school, your podcast, your work in two years, you know, approximately? Yeah, I would love for our school to keep supporting the whole student. So I would love for students to have even more of a voice in what they do. We, every year we're, we're progressive. So every year we add in something that supports the whole student. So we've added in an SLP, an OT and a counselor. We call them our dream team and they consult with us. We added in offerings this year, which were mini electives that give a lot more choice than when everybody did filmmaking or everybody did leadership. We added in passion projects this year as a pilot and learned that really it's probably a little too much freedom for middle school kids, but has some efficacy and, and some wonderful results for high school. We just started internships and had three kids using our Wednesday experiential day to be out in different businesses, seeing if that might be um, a career direction for them. So I see continuing on that journey where students are empowered and have as much say and get to play to their strengths as much as possible. And the podcast, I would just love to keep reaching more people. It's it's led me to be doing some keynote speaking and, and different things. And if I can give back, I would love for the podcast to be a way that I connect with people and, and organizations and can give back. Tell me a little bit more about the keynote speaking, because I think that's something I'm very interested in. 
And I'm wondering, are those like things where you're reaching out to people offering your services or are people coming to you? And could you give someone some advice like myself who uh, who's curious about, you know, a future with some keynote speaking in it? Well, because the school is is such a full-time piece for me and it's my baby. I could let go of anything else, but that's my baby. Just like I could let go of the school and anything else, but my daughters are like non-negotiable. So um, it's my top priority. So I really haven't marketed myself that you know, I, it's on a website on the education evolution page, but um colleagues, former colleagues in Ecuador asked me to come down to their inclusion, their first international inclusion seminar. And that, that conference was January of 2020, you know, so they invited me down and then in just working with somebody else on the podcast, she's like, Hey, will you be the keynote on our beyond multiple choice seminar or conference that's, that's coming up and really talk about assessment in, in, relationship to real world classrooms and schools and what it is, what it could be, and then open it up for questions and answers. So it's kind of come to me, but I think if I had more time and it were more of a priority, I would start to look for organizations that align with what I want to share and say, hey, I know friends that have done this. They have their press packet, you know, their bio, their, and they put it out and they have their, I can do this or this, and they have their packages and their pricing and, and whatnot. So people can definitely be initiating those contacts and should be, if they want that to be a big part of, you know, their professional life. I want to ask you about something as a school leader, it's something I think about. And it also, I feel like it's part of the reason why I left education. And I'm curious your thoughts on it is that I've noticed that some educators, and I think it might be, it might be, a, I don't know if it's every educator, but there's this feeling in education where it's like teachers aren't always paid for their merit. And what I mean by that is that if one teacher does way more and gets way better results in their classroom, they're not necessarily going to make more money or, you know, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of, it's just a, a agreed upon flat rate or whatever. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Like, as far as how do we inspire teachers and also reward them, you know, because there's not every teacher is created the same, right? Some teachers are going to um, go beyond. And, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that as part of the bigger picture of how do we retain teachers and support them um, in a, you know, in, in the big picture. Yeah, it's tricky. And I've seen schools, I've accredited schools where if you tell anybody else what you're being paid, you can be fired, where it's just like, be quiet. And then maybe there is meritocracy going on, but there's also suspicion. And like, is this person buddying up to the school leader to get a pay raise, to be on the in? So it's super tricky. I think if we can increase the base for everybody, what I do at my school is teachers that have shown a really a leadership area or propensity, they can take on something extra and get a stipend for that. We also 
We have parents that are like, oh my gosh, this is a great resignation. We had parents donate substantially. We we always do a signing bonus when people come back because community and multiple years makes it so rich and kids are so known. And the favorite part kids say about our school is the teachers. They really value that relationship. So we've had a signing bonus for the last three or four years, but we had substantial money donated this year to do a signing bonus just, and that's a way of saying, we value you. We want you back. It's not necessarily saying, hey, you've put in more than this person, so you get something different. But it's still saying you are valued. This is above and beyond what you thought was happening. So that's the best I've been able to do. But boy, it's a tricky one. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, definitely what you're saying, it's like you want to prevent corruption or, you know, like, I mean, I see it in, I worked in a large public school. And so you're you're really wanting to create a system that's equitable. And it is true that, you know, when certain people, you know, even with that, with such a rigid system in the public school, you could see that certain people got the stipend positions because they were friendlier with the principal or whatever. So that is a great point. It's such a tricky one. And we want to continue. I love that idea of a signing bonus for teachers. What a, what a beautiful thing. It's like, we really want to find ways to retain talented people so that they can continue to enhance the lives of students. And actually, Sean, I think a really big piece of retaining, which is always as a school leader, an important goal, especially overseas, where you may not be able to get an English speaking chemistry teacher. You know, if this one goes, it could be, whoa, how do we fill this? Um, Early days as an assistant principal, my mentor principal said we were doing union negotiations and he said, it's the dignity issues. So it really, we have to remember these other pieces. How do we, like our board added, I I said, hey, can we add an extra day at the end of semester? Because we do this week of intensives that are really cool, but a lot of extra work for our teachers between semesters. I said, can we add a day just to have them breathe? And they said, yes. And why don't we add one on to spring break, right? Because they're doing a camping trip right before spring break. So these things that say we value you and providing food on our professional development day. And some of these pieces are just saying, hey, thank you. Also with our students, we start out with check-ins every day and that emotional connection and whatnot. Our PD days, we do the same. We want to make sure we're saying we see each other as humans first. We're not just going to dive into to training that we need to get or work that we need to do. We're going to take time to be community together. So yeah, it's not an increased paycheck, but when people feel cared about and valued, sometimes that's equally or more important than the paycheck. I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really great way of framing it as the dignity, the dignity value or the dignity benefit in a sense. And and I, from people I've talked to, it's like little things, appreciations p- consistently go farther than necessarily like a once a year raise or things like that, or they're, they're, they're equally important at least. Um, I'm wondering, Maureen, can you talk about to to the people listening right now? They're wondering, they're teachers, they're educational therapists, tutors, and they're wondering, how can I earn more? Because they want to make whatever they're doing their their you know life passion. They want, but also their they want to be stable in what they're doing, and they're and they're trying to figure out. And we know that you know finances are important. What what would you tell people who are wanting to earn more in education? What would be your piece of advice? So market research, when I was starting my school, it's like, how am I going to have the revenues I need to run this? So I wanted it to be closer to my home, 
but the Kirkland Bellevue area is more of the hub for Google and Microsoft, you know, and I, or else I wanted it to be in Seattle, but that wasn't at that time, there weren't as many, uh, it wasn't the affluent businesses in the area I was going to be in, or they were startups and young. So they didn't have middle school, high school kids. So market research to see where the need is, what the need is, and then collaborating. Wouldn't it be great if you could say, hey, Microsoft, or hey, you know, whatever big organization is your area, I would love to offer to your parents. I could even do it on site, or I could do it here. I'd love to offer this training for them, the these resources for them. When we can tap into something that's already existing, those are all potential clients versus going out there and trying to get known on our own. And then those clients can give us recommendations and spread the word. So going it alone is super hard. And without market research, you can have an amazing resource that nobody needs in the area that you're offering it. Maybe San Francisco doesn't need anybody that's teaching mountain climbing. I don't know. So I think it's, it's, you have to be super intentional. Hmm. Yeah. You just gave me a brilliant idea. Hopefully it's a brilliant idea, but I'm just thinking, you know, I'm teaching all these kids how to use Google. Why not go straight to Google? So Google, if you're listening, uh, and teach the parents of Google employees, um, how to really leverage the tools at their disposal that they're creating. I actually was thinking that Google would benefit from understanding how to help teachers. Like, you know, how when you're, when you click on something, sometimes little websites will give you a little pop-up box like, hey, if you want to do this, and it gives you a little coaching or instruction, like they should do that for teachers. Like, hey, if you want more of your students to complete this assignment, then make sure you put a due date on this assignment rather than just leaving it blank because they won't know when to do it. But like little things like that. So that's a great idea though, like really going straight to the organizations or the companies that would benefit from your services, especially the ones, if it's a for-profit endeavor that can afford it, or, you know, if you're trying to like, you know, get started. So that that's a great idea. Thank you for sharing that. Another piece of that is also looking for pain points. Maybe homeschool parents love the flexibility, but really want their kids to get higher level math or science and don't feel like they have that skill set. So maybe you tap into somebody that might have that pain point and say, hey, you're doing great. I can weave into your flexibility. I can weave into your three weeks off after two months on year round schedule. How can I help? So pain points is another approach. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah, that someone else described as like the agitations, like what are, what are people feeling frustrated by and how can you like, um, what, what someone said, Pat Flynn said, and super fans, he said, sing their lyrics. Like, are you frustrated with this, this, and this? Here's what I can offer. Here's, here are some potential solutions, like really speaking directly to them. That's great. So I got a couple rapid fire questions. I'm wondering if you're up for it, Maureen. <laughs> sure. I hope I didn't have to think in advance. <laughs> Favorite city? Bangkok. Ooh, never been there. Ugh. What do you like about it? Everything. I keep going back. I like that it's exotic. I like the temples. I like the bright colored taxis and the colored t-shirts they wear on different ways of the, days of the week. I love the festivals, the Songkran, the water festivals, the candles on the river. I've been there a bunch of times, but I've never lived there. So I love a lot about it. Mm. Well, that kind of leads into this second question. If you could live a book, TV show, or movie, what would it be? Boy, it would have to be something that let me have stops around the world and stops long enough to be a part of the community, not just as a tourist taking a tour. So 
there's nothing specific that comes to mind, but oh my gosh, I would love to have three month hops, you know, around the world for the next 10 years. That sounds amazing. I'm right there with you. Um, I'm thinking like eat, pray, love kind of, or I don't know, that just, that, that comes to mind. Like, <laughs> I don't know how many places she stopped at. I remember reading and being, oh, wow, she sounds like she's having a great experience. And just mm-hmm. like, or Anthony Bourdain, like, you know, kind of like, it's really engaging the culture. Um, okay. Who inspires you to be better? Boy, you know, it sounds cheesy, but my students and their parents, because they'll come to me with their pain points or their dreams. It's like, whoa, how can I figure out more about internships? What can I do? So that does, I think my family does too, because that's also the place where I sometimes feel like I fall the shortest because we know each other. We push each other's buttons. We love each other so deeply. So I, I really want to give. I want my adult daughters to always want me in their lives. So it's the people probably in my inner circle that inspire me the most. If you lost all of your possessions, but one, what would you want it to be? My passport. (laughs) I'm (laughs) sensing a theme. (laughs) Awesome. Well, uh, Maureen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. If people want to find out more about what you're working on, follow you, how can they do that? So educationevolution.org or lead-prep.org. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you want to check out my course, Become an Online Executive Function Specialist, there's a link in the bio. Please leave a review and rating. Come on, do it and crush that subscribe button. See you all soon. Um, Pat would sing their lyrics like this, this, and this. Are you frustrated with someone said in super fancy said, um, Pat would sing their lyrics like this, this, and this. Are you frustrated with someone said in super fancy said, um, Pat would sing their lyrics like this, this, and this. Are you frustrated with someone said in super fancy said, um, Pat would sing their lyrics like this, this, and this. Are you frustrated with someone said in super fancy said, um, Pat would sing their lyrics like this, this, and this. Are you frustrated with someone said in super fancy said, Oh. Um.